This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm joined by the usual man alongside me, David Hughes. How are we doing, mate? Very good, thanks, mate. I wish it was actually alongside you. <laughs> yeah, so do I. We still, still weren't doing this. <laughs> Yeah, I've had a few complaints over the um, sound issues because you talk, I talk, so I think I've just been saying and that is much better than the office. But anyway, Liverpool have signed a player. Huge news. Second time it's happened since me and Dave have been at reach, uh, which is quite a statement, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's quite bizarre. What's the period? That's a, that's about what, over eighteen months now. So it's, yeah, I think uh, it's I think it's over twenty months to be honest. Not sure. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, if, we have to get. Go on. Sorry, I was going to say on that. I think if I would have said to you, yeah, uh, you know, twenty months ago, uh, Liverpool only signed two players, and the second will be twenty months from now. You wouldn't have had it, really, would you? You wouldn't have believed that for the second. No, if, I'm if not criticising it. Yeah, if when I started to reach, um, I was to be told that from now on, Liverpool will sign two players. Um, but you know you'll you'll win the Champions League, win the Premier League, win the Club World Cup. I'd be like, okay, didn't expect that, but um, but yeah, last week we we got led a little bit down the garden path. Uh, we we expected Jamal Lewis to be the man, but that seems to have just been little more than smoke because Liverpool have signed. Bear with me on this. I will improve when it, when it comes to pronouncing his name. I'm sure Dave will probably be even worse. <laughs> but I'm going to go with Kostas Samikas, I think is, is how you say it. Um, Liverpool say. signed him for 11.75 million. Reasonable fee. Uh, supposed to be a backup for Andy Robertson by all accounts. Um. So this is going to be basically probably a shorter episode, but a full episode really on him. You know what to expect from him, what he's like as a player. We we appreciate that you've probably already listened to a lot of stuff on him, uh, and you know I know the echo. We've done quite a bit on him, various different podcasts, but we like to think that you know we're going to give you something a bit different, considering you know analysing on field different angle, different angles. And I was just we've got footage of him, we've got data on him. So hopefully we'll be able to give you a bit more insight, a bit different insight than what you've got from other podcasts. Um, but we'll go we'll go right from the off. Was you surprised at all, Dave? Yeah, I was because um, it certainly wasn't a player particularly on my radar. Um, but something weird happens when Liverpool are linked with the player. You you kind of have this. Um, I don't know, I guess there's internal look at yourself where you think, hold on, why isn't he on my radar if he's on their radar? Because the chances are he must be a good player. Um, I don't know yeah. if you can relate to that. But yeah, I was surprised, although obviously doing a little bit of work on him since, um, it's a move that makes sense. It looks like a good a good bit of business, I think. Yeah, um, I totally agree on the, uh, the player links thing. I mean, Liverpool have, have established a degree of respect over the years when it comes to signing players you, you almost immediately think they're getting it right regardless of who they're linked with um, and this was a player I will be honest despite our roles you know technically labelled as scouting right this, this, I'll be honest this is a player I, I was not aware of um, you know he, he hadn't really come on my radar at all obviously a little bit unsurprising considering he's he's playing in a Greek Super League you know the, the infamous Greek Super League. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he, I mean, he's, he's performed surprisingly against Spurs, Arsenal, Burnley, Wolves, Bayern Munich. So, you know, a fair amount of decent teams in the, in the past you know, 18 months or so mm. in European football. But because of his home league and playing for Olympiacos, you know, he's, um, he hasn't really popped up on my radar. I think Daniel... Daniel Podence was a player who, who I was aware of at Olympia because he's recently moved to Wolves in January. But other than him, I wasn't aware of, of the talent he had. Yeah. So this is obviously yeah. a player who's joining 
uh, left back, 24 years old, in place of Jamal Lewis. Um, I've got a little bit of a theory on this, by the way. Before we move into Simicas, um, I have a little bit of a theory on the Jamal Lewis thing. Maybe I'm giving Liverpool a bit too much credit. <laughs> but I'm starting to think that the bids for Lewis, I mean, we, we bid eight million plus two for Lewis. That is never getting accepted in a million years, really, is it? Mm. Um, and, you know, not long after it being rejected, it was quite swiftly Samikas' sign. Um, and I'm thinking maybe it was a bit of a ploy from Liverpool to kind of present the image to, say, the likes of Watford, maybe, who have sad in the, in the ranks. You know, if Liverpool go in for your player, um, and you you be unreasonable with the price, we're not going to mess about. And I think th- this deal kind of presents the image of Liverpool not messing about at all. If you try and charge ext- extortion of fees in the current market with the coronavirus and stuff like that, you know Liverpool will just move on to whoever's second choice. So I think I think we knew all along really that we weren't going to get Lewis for that price. But I just think in terms of PR, it presents quite a healthy image that you, you will not be ripped off at all in this current market. I'm not sure if, if I'm giving the club a bit too much credit there or whether I'm thinking too much into it, but I think it's quite a clever tactic if you actually think about it. Mm. Yeah, it, it feels like it's it, it, it's played out like that at very least. Um, you know, on, on, on the back of them, you know, from the outside looking at switching targets. I'm inclined, in my opinion, most think maybe they the had a a set valuation of both players in mind. And he probably opted for Lewis because he's got some of that Premier League experience. Maybe this is just my theory. Um, but they've known that if they're not going to accept this offer, which is fairly low anyway, they've got another option that they're really keen on. Um, and, you know, they could pursue that quite quickly if Norwich weren't going to play ball. You know, maybe if Norwich indicated they'd accept 12 million, Liverpool may have continued to pursue that. But, and I, I'm pretty sure they were saying, you know, it's going to be a figure around 20 million. And Liverpool probably thought, well, you know, we've got another target we, we really like there and we can get him for 11, 12 million. So we'll just we'll switch to that. I don't know. As I said, it's it's really hard because all we're doing, isn't it, is trying to piece the pieces together from the outside. Um, so knowing Liverpool, <laughs> your theory could actually be true. Um but I'm, I'm I'm more inclined to think it might be what I've just said there. Yeah, it, it just it just seems to. I think one of the reasons I think it is just because it seems to progress really really quickly, and we seem to go from bidding for Lewis to actually announcing Simicas on the Monday night. Um, mm. So it seems to progress really quickly if we did move from target A to target B. You know, I, I was just. Thinking to myself, maybe Target A was Shamikas all along. We just wanted, you know, publicity regarding Target and Lewis not yeah. not being willing to pay a certain price and then showing everyone that we're willing to move on immediately. Yeah. Um, what I will say, just, just quickly on that point, is um, now we've talked about Liverpool's alignment across the club before and how it's really good. And um, I think what they do really well is just keeping their targets under the radar until the very last stages of, of the deal process. Um, I, I, I was listening to, well, I read an interview of Marcel Brands recently at Everton. He's like the um, director of football at Everton, for those who don't know. And he talked about the, um, the frustration he's had and the criticism of people internally when, within the club for leaking targets to the press or talking openly about targets to the press and the issues that then arise on the back of that in terms of getting deals over the line. If you think recently, Dave, had like um, Southampton midfielder Hoiberg, who they were really keen on, um, they've lost them to Tottenham. And now, I'm not saying it, maybe the play was at some point on Tottenham's radar, but I think the minute, you, as a club, you know another Premier League side is willing to you know, make that jump and go in and actually make a deal, you probably then look at yourself and think, hold on, are we missing out? And that might then push them to make a deal also. Um, or at least an offer, I should say. Um, Everton, again, they had Gabriella at Lille. You know, it looked like a deal was done there. 
Um, but it, it, it's hit the press early on in the negotiation process. And now you've got the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, United, Napoli, all being heavily linked. And I think the players now got a decision to make. And I think with Liverpool, you very rarely see that happen, do you? It, it can be really frustrating for us, you know, in our role. Um, quite annoying, really. But from a, you know, a kind of club perspective, I think it's really good and it's the best way to do your business. Yeah, no, it does. It does seem very watertight at the minute. Mm. Um, I think Leicester were one of the clubs interested in Simicast actually. Um, you know, they, maybe they were planning on bidding for them or whatever, but maybe Liverpool. You know, Liverpool's interest became known really, really late, and it, it didn't give Leicester the time to make a move, sort of thing. So I think you've got a point there. I think Sevilla was supposedly interested, and I think probably have looked at him in the past. So maybe. I think certain other players as well. I think of Fabinho. Fabinho got announced on the day. Nobody had any clue it was going to happen. And Man United were linked with him at the time. Um, I think I think there's any value in, in keeping keeping your deals on the wraps until eventually done, basically. Um, which is why we jumped the gun last week for Lewis. Um, but now we've signed Simica. So Simica, then let's let's address you know the player that we bought. Um, Despite the fact that we haven't, we weren't previously aware of them, we do have all the numbers at hand. We do have the footage at hand, so we, we have run through his game. We're not experts, but we, we've got got enough now on him to form an opinion, um, and an opinion that isn't just, <clears throat> you know, the absolute basic like, oh, he's left footed. That's what I was going to start with. To be honest. That is one of my bullet points, you ladies. <laughs> it's it's, quite, is, it's actually quite important. But, it's absolutely um... crucial. It's crucial because <laughs> the back the, the back left back that we've had over the past few years has been right footed in James yeah. Milner, and it's been an absolute nightmare. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I've shot myself in the foot there. Oh, but it's a fair um, way Yeah. Um, I will, I will say before we start that those who listen to analyze, those who have signed up the Analyzing Anfield newsletter, which I've been banging on about for the past two weeks, will already know plenty of this and will have got this in advance because a newsletter was sent out yesterday simply titled Is Costas Simicas Good? And it was just, you know, I drilled down on the basics we picked up on them and, and that sort of thing. Um, so if you haven't signed up, what are you playing at? Uh, because you're, <laughs> you're behind the times, but again, if you want to go and do that, you know, at distance cover on Twitter, you know, find me and sign up at the at the top of my profile. But I think we'll start with, um, we'll start with the footage. What what, what did you think watching Dave? I mean, you know, did you pick up on any any aspects or? Um, yeah, I'd say you know he, he seems to be. He seems to be very direct, I think, with the ball. You know, he, he seems to make a lot of overlapping, underlapping runs. Um, seems to be a, a lot of cross-heavy focus with his play. Um, looks to be a really good ball carrier. Um, I've got numbers to back this up. This is just from the clips I've seen. But he does, we were laughing about him being left footed. He does seem pretty um, reliant on the left foot. I, I can't remember. I didn't see very many examples of him. Um you know, taking many touches on his right or cutting in or using the same um, much of maybe dribbling sequences or anything. But I just thought he he looked really good in terms of picking up the ball and driving and making runs from deep. Uh, and, and plenty of really decent crosses with the ball as well. Um, yeah, I liked him. I thought he looked pretty pretty agile. And you know, I, I'm trying to avoid the really convenient comparison with Robertson, but you can see the similarities in the in the play, albeit for different teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool have basically, have, after signing Robertson and seeing how well he's done, how suited he is to Klopp and stuff like that, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he now is just simply the benchmark sort of thing. Like Me and you have used tools before, haven't we, at the likes of Statsbomb, where you can find similar players and stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool have something like that at the club and it's come down to just basically finding similar players to Andy Robertson because I do think Simi has shows up as, as quite similar. Um, in terms of the footage, 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's not he's not lightning quick, but he's not slow either. Um, he's just kind of like a little bit in between sort of thing. Like I'm thinking, maybe the pace of like a a Ben Chilwell, maybe something like that. Um, yeah, he's as you say, quite direct. And with him being quite direct, for me at least, he came across a little bit. But this is probably the problem with my eyes, rather than being a problem with his game. But he came across as a little bit, almost a little bit awkward in certain situations, a little bit not in control, even though he probably was. Um, Salah can come across like that sometimes. Um, just those players who are a little bit rough around the edges, which Liverpool seems to be seems to like. Really, mm. I think that's that's where data comes into it. I'm currently writing uh, a piece on this actually. For those who have seen Moneyball, um, there's a scene in the Moneyball film where all the scouts are around the table and they're talking about how this baseball player looks physically, um, how he strikes the ball, his swing, um, the appearance of his jawline. All this nonsense that basically doesn't even apply to, to his actual outputs on the field. And I think Liverpool have been really good at picking up players who are, you know, to a traditional scout who focuses on how clean a player strikes the ball or how technically is, you know, the data can allow you to overlook that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, he showed up to me a little, a little bit rough. I'm not sure if you, if you got that one. Yeah, I th- well, I felt like that was... It feels like he would. He never fully always has control of the ball. He seems to be a player who is... When you think of ball carriers, there's different ways, isn't there? There's those who carry it close to the feet and kind of glide across. He seems to be someone who hits it hard and runs onto it and just big touches, big touches all the way. And I think that that always looks a little bit like he's not always you know, in control of it. But I think that's the way he kind of generates his pace again, his power behind, you know, behind the crosses and things. Um so yeah, that I think that does tend to look a little bit raw, but I, I guess it's just as style. Yeah, I mean you've you've got players who are like very clean on the technical side, like say for example the way Trent, Trent Alexander Arnold strikes a football, you can mm. you can just tell he's a really neat striker at the ball. Whereas if you look at Raheem Sterling, hits a ball, or maybe even Salah hits a ball, you know it's like a little boy sometimes. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't mean the bad players. Um, but maybe traditional scouting would have picked up on that as a bit of a flaw. So yeah, I think in terms of his execution, you know, the, the technical side of his game and some of his crosses, maybe they're not. It's not flawless execution. It's, it's not really, you know, beautiful to watch like it is when you see De Bruyne whip across into the box. So he has seemed a bit, as I say, a bit rougher. Um, but there's, there's nothing really wrong with that. It's just going to be something that we're maybe going to have to get used to and, and something that I don't overly think will hinder, hinder his game. He looks decent on the defensive side, um, 1v1 and that sort of thing. Um, and he looks a little bit more ready-made, I thought, than than Jamal Lewis. I think he's obviously two years older, Samikas, and um, played in European football and stuff like that. I think Lewis would have required... Although he's homegrown and, and stuff like that, I think Lewis would have required a bit more work behind the scenes. Yeah, he, I, I thought he's, you know, I noticed that he was, I'd look at earlier, 5 foot 11, but I thought he was quite deceptively strong. Um, yeah. Now, some of the more recent clips were, you know, from the Wolves game uh, where he's up against Torre, and I thought he did okay. And you know, it, it, it's hard to gauge in some of those brief domestically clips not not to be disrespectful to the division no, I think that there is some good sides and good players in there but it's a little bit more difficult to gauge just how good he how good he is uh, in those matches against those players but uh, yeah I thought he was deceptively a little bit stronger than I expected him to be to be honest defensive dual success rate was just around just under 60% so not bad numbers wise for the full back or wing back sorry Um but yeah, you know, I did the thought he looked okay in one v ones, and he, he he didn't seem to have a, a, a for me anyway. He didn't seem to have a glare and weakness in them, you know. Like he, he didn't seem to look like he struggled if a player cut in on one specific side or or anything. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, um, in terms of his defensive numbers, again, any numbers that we that we put forward, it's going to be with 
the massive caveat that he's playing in the Greek Super League. Um, so yeah, it, 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 he might be facing, well, he will be facing better opponents in England, um, but he'll also be playing for a better team. So it depends what way you want to look at that. Just, I suppose there's two ways. Just on that little thing that you just mentioned about him being deceptively strong over over or something like that that you said. Um, I think he, he had a bit of Robertson about him in terms of um, being a bit of a grafter and a bit of a fighter. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, some players when they get a knock are inclined to just hit the deck and start start crying basically. But he, he come across as um, not really like that. He come across as a bit a bit tough, uh, for lack of a better word. Which is probably good considering Klopp's brand of football and stuff. Aggressive, uh, yeah, aggressive, yeah. And I think there's, I've, I've actually read that uh, in terms of giving interviews and all that behind the scenes, he's not, he's not keen on the media side of it. He's just very much, let me play football, let me be a footballer, and then go home and stay beneath the surface, basically. Mm. So I, I think, although some people will will be inclined to think that stuff doesn't matter, I think it. Probably bodes well for him to be honest. The fact that he can, because I think I think that was a massive difference between Robertson and Moreno. They were both really quick, both quite offensive and stuff like that. But Moreno just come across as really lightweight, and he was just really inclined to just um, he was just really inclined to. I don't know, it's hard to explain, but he just he just hit the deck, and you, when you come across as a physically dominant team like Liverpool are now. He, he comes across as a weak link. Mm. Yeah, he, he reminds me of someone who's just quite fragile. And I, I'm trying so hard to avoid the cliche lines here, but I think they, you know, they articulate it best. You, you don't really see him getting his hands dirty. And you, you know, you could imagine if there's a bit of rough and tumble, he'd be falling to the floor and, you know, hands in the air looking to the referee for the free kick rather than just, you know, giving a little bit of it back. And yeah, with Robertson, you know, you very rarely see that. You'd see someone who kind of, he almost embraces that side of the game, the, the sinister side, doesn't he? And I agree. I think from obviously it's really hard. We haven't seen tons of. It's not like we watched hours of him, but just from what I've seen, he it looks like maybe he's also the same in terms of you know maybe embracing that side of things. And you know, ultimately, all this is so important because you're trying to get a the, the closest thing you can to a replica of Robertson. So there's no major kind of impact on Liverpool's performances when he's when Robertson isn't playing. Yeah, I mean, I must say he is really, really similar to Robertson in a number of areas. Um, I'd say he's a lot more like Robertson than Trent. I think we're going to get into the numbers now. But in terms of, I've always viewed Trent as a bit more of a passer and Robertson's more of a runner. Uh, and I think Simicast is more in the Robertson mould. Uh, in terms of his passing range and stuff like that and his execution and stuff, maybe not anywhere near as developed as Trent, to be honest, but in terms of his energy up and down the flank and stuff like that, and particularly his dribbling, which we're like, what you're gonna to get to. Same you can't say just him out. So yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be interesting to see how he does. But in terms of numbers, so I picked up on a variety of different aspects, uh, covered a few of them in the, the newsletter. So for those who are listening on the podcast, apologies, because I'm gonna share the screen. Uh but this was this was sent as part of the newsletter. So if you receive the newsletter, you'll know what it is. It's his dribbling numbers in comparison to Europe's best uh, or Europe's most familiar, really. So what it did was there was about I think 160 fallbacks in Europe's top five leagues this season who have played at least 1,500 minutes in their domestic league. So just to see how Simicas you know, performed in comparison to them in the Greek League. I just moved Simikas over into the sample of European players. So, obviously, there's the massive caveat of Simikas playing in the Greek League. It's a poor quality league. You know, these numbers might take a hit when he comes to play in the Premier League, whatever. But that is how he performs for dribbles completed per 90 in comparison to players from Europe. So, as you can see, top of the whole of Europe, fullbacks was Alfonso Davis, unsurprisingly, with 3.5 triples completed per 90. If Samikas had played in Europe, 
and posted the exact same numbers he did in the Greek League, he'd actually be second, which I think is quite crazy. With uh, 3.4 dribbles completed per 90. And just for a bit of perspective on that, for those that can't see this, it will be on YouTube if you want to go and check it. Jamal Lewis placed 24th. Ricardo Pereira, 25th. Kyle Walker, 68th. Ben Chilwell, 79th. Andy Robertson, incessantly, 87th. And since Alexander-Arnold, who I've just said, you know, is more of a passer than a runner, uh, 115th. But, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure how much... I'm not sure how impressed to be by that, considering the Greek League. But, you know, that is quite notable, isn't it, Dave? It is, yeah. And, um, you know, what I would say is as well, I'm just bringing this up to double-check it, but there's there's one important thing to, to really consider. There he is, yeah. Yeah, so, obviously, yeah, he is playing in the Greek League, as we know. Um, but... That being said, he's played in the Champions League. He's played in European competition. He's played against really good sides. Now, and Minamino will also done the same. And I just wonder if maybe um, Liverpool kind of see how they perform in this competition against elite opposition, and potentially think, um, you know, they play well. Numbers are good in these games. These players have potential to adapt against better sides in a in a tough, tougher composition. Um, I did know I saw on Twitter earlier, but I haven't checked it myself, so I hate doing this. But I think it's really good in sharing. Um, apologies, I don't know who shared it, but apparently, um, he come out as the second best defender in the Champions League this season for shot creating actions per ninety, um, which isn't bad. And admittedly, that that sample size is going to be fairly small, but it does show that you know he can adapt his game against much better sides. So, although you are rightly caveating those numbers in terms of, you know, it's in the Greek League, it's not in one of the top five divisions, it does show that when he comes up against these teams, he does seem to be able to size up and, you know, he does seem to be able to translate them into better against better opponents, which I think is good, good news for Liverpool. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I actually saw that tweet myself. Um, Do you know who it was? No, I can't remember who was top either. But he was second for shot creating actions. I can't remember who was top. Apologies um, if, it, if, if it was you. Send us a message on Twitter and we'll give you a shout out next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. No, I mean, I, I don't think he takes set pieces for Olympiacos. Mm. Maybe he'll be doing a little bit more of that at Liverpool, considering the, the responsibility of the fullbacks. But um, yeah, it's it, it was certainly an insistency when I saw it. I didn't check it myself, but if that's true, considering who he was playing for, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is insistent. Um, so another aspect that we looked at on the newsletter was, um, I think this is, yeah, this so this is crossing. Dave mentioned earlier about crossing. Uh, again, he shows up, you know, very active in comparison to Europe's best. Again, if you see this, if you haven't seen this, this is from the newsletter. If you look on at this and like and look of it, sign up to the newsletter because this is the kind of stuff that we're regularly sending out on your emails. Bigger charge. Um, but yeah, that's how he compares to the sample of European fullbacks for crosses completed in 90. As you can see, Jesus Navas is currently converted to a fullback actually is top. Since Alexander Arnold second. And Simikas would be fifth if the Greek Super League was in the top five European. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, impressive. And and yeah. Yeah. The, the, the lad who's sixth actually on that list, Sergio Regulon, I think it is, or Regulion or um he was actually another player on the on the Liverpool shortlist. Liverpool apparently had a shortlist of four players for this left back slot. And I think Regulon was was one of them. So uh, as you can see, he's, he's completing exactly the same number of crosses per ninety as Samikas. Uh, Robertson a little bit low in in eighteenth overall. Uh, Lucas Dean, you can see there, Dave Evan player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually thought Lucas Dean would be a bit higher to be honest. Yeah, so did I actually, but um, clearly not. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Alfonso <laughs> Davis is there, but a lot further down, 28th. 
Sergio Aurier, 72nd. And Luke Shaw, quite surprisingly, who you'd, you'd probably perceive as quite an attacking fullback, 122nd. Mm. Uh, I mean, United don't have particularly, uh, you know, much of an aerial threat in the box, but, you know, 0.6 crosses completed per 90 by Luke Shaw isn't very much. But, yeah, Samika's fifth in Europe for crosses completed per 90. So, we have a dribbler, which Trent isn't and which Robertson isn't. But we also have a crosser. So, uh, I think it's just a, a bit of a combo there that we, we don't actually have at the minute. But there's, there's this rumour that, you know, Klopp doesn't like dribblers and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe you'll knock that out of his game. But at the same time, Klopp's always been really good at recognising what a player's good at. Mm. And just letting them play, just letting them do what he's good at. So, it'll be interesting to see if, if Sumigas' dribbling comes down. But certainly his crossing there. I'd expect that to, you know, either stay the same or if if not, receive a bit of a boost. Yeah, it is interesting that when a player's got such a, you know, is really performing so, so well in a in a particular department, um, it seems crazy to to nullify the same, you know. But then, if you think of Liverpool midfield, you know, someone like Wijnaldum, he can do so much. But I guess he plays within himself, doesn't he? Within the midfield to to kind of fit the wider the wider team and a, a wider goal, I guess. So maybe, maybe it may be kind of nullified, but I don't know. I, I feel like in those wing-back wing back areas, being able to dribble with the ball, providing you're not doing it, you know, on the edge of your own half and potentially um, putting, putting the t- side at risk to a dangerous counter, I think it's it's a positive asset to have. Um, so it will be interesting to see if that kind of maintains when he starts playing next season. Yeah, and then the, the final one that we created for the, the newsletter was, I, I probably should have done progressive runs, to be honest, but we'll, we'll do that in a sec in terms of talking about it. But passes into the box. Uh, hopefully you can see that. Excuse me, yeah. Well, it's um, now, I've got it. Yeah, so in terms of that, obviously he's not as high, but still within touching distance of being, you know, quite clearly applicable to a Liverpool fullback. Uh, as you can see, Jesus Navas is again top uh, with 3.3 completed passes into the box, paying 90. Trent, second. Kieran Trippier, fourth. Andy Robertson, ninth. And Samikas, 21st. You know, which, again, not bad, considering there's about 160 fullbacks in the sample. Uh, for a bit of perspective on that, Danny Carvajal, is 25th, Sergio Aurier, 47th, Kyle Walker, 89th, and Aaron Wan-Bissaka, <laughs> uh, 113th. So, yeah, so that, that, I think that's interesting, by the way, that you're nice to have got two fullbacks there in the uh, in the hundreds for crosses completed on the last phase that we showed, and then yeah, passing yeah. the box on the opposite flank, you got your right back. In the in the hundreds, so I think it's, I think you know it's the completely completely opposite end of Liverpool when it comes to attacking through your fullbacks or attacking through your midfield. I think they're literally polar opposites. Yeah, well, what's happened with them, isn't it? They've got they've gone so top heavy with the you know quality attackers that if, if wing backs were constantly bombing on and being they they have nothing left to you know defensively would they? Um, so that kind of I suppose that makes some sense. Um, but it's interesting, you know, we're talking about him here and he's shown up really well in a fair few important departments for the position. And okay, you say you say things like, um, you know, 21st, which isn't bad, but you know, if you're consistently in the top 10, 15% of each of these departments, then chances are you're a really good player. You know, it's right. It's, you, you, no point being in the top two or three if, uh, if you're going to be like ranking, you know, somewhere... Halfway down in the in, in the other areas, he, we're talking about a player, as I said, who's probably in around the the top fifteen percent in each of those apartments that you just mentioned that were in the newsletter there, um, which to me kind of pieces together a really good player. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I kind of summarised with out of for the newsletter was, um, you know, the fact that he'll basically be coming in 
and be asked to do virtually everything he's been doing anyway for the past year or so. There shouldn't be any real, you know, massive acclimatisation. Like, I think with Fabinho, for example, when we got Fabinho in, there was a bit of an adjustment period because he had to go from working in a midfield two to working in a midfield three, often as the, the lone defensive midfielder. So there's a bit of, you know, a bit of a learning period there. With this lad coming in, considering the numbers that we've just shown, what he's doing and that, how attacking he is, if Liverpool's usual 10 players are on the field and you take Robertson out and put Simikas in, it, Liverpool should perform virtually the same. You know, you should be able to perform exactly as before, just as attacking with a left-back who's very energetic, you know, offering all kinds of different threats in the final third and that sort of stuff. That, that's basically the crux of a piece that I wrote yesterday for, for Liverpool.com. It was basically that. Yeah, I looked at two games specifically. I tried to pick two games where it was, you know, the same environment, um, the same venue against similar opposition. Um, and the the, the the best two examples I could find um, was Bournemouth at home in March and Crystal Palace just after the restart. You know, both Liverpool home games against sides who are perceived lesser sides in the division. Uh, one of them, James Milner started and the, the other... Um, Robertson was back in the side for the Palace game and I think you really got an indication um, if you just looked at the, the numbers and the visualisations he used in that just how it how much it does imp- impact Liverpool's all-round kind of dynamics you know the equilibrium across the team you know Milner's a great all-round and he comes in and certainly defensively I think he he does well and you know he's, he's a decent player to plug a hole but you know the attack seems to be lopsided more to the right. Um, you know, the threat in general down the left changes. I think Mane, his role adapts a little bit to try and overcompensate. But then, you know, when Robertson in, in, is inside, it's completely different. And as you've just said there, you, you're basically bringing in a version of the same player. He might, he might be as good, but he's certainly, you know, similar enough that, the side is going to maintain that balance, which on the whole shouldn't impact Liverpool's performances. And you'll be able to keep, you know, that really high standard every game, even if you do have to drop one of the players. And I think the, the idea, hopefully, for Liverpool is, from their point of view, that you want to try and do that in other areas of the pitch as well. But the left-back was one of the most important this summer. And it looks as if they've addressed it with a perfect candidate. Yeah, yeah, it's spot on. Um, I think that's one of my my biggest frustrations with Liverpool over the years has been, you know, when when the usual eleven isn't playing, the team can't attack in the same way because they haven't got the same backups basically. So if Milner comes in for Robertson, it changes the way Liverpool attack. If you know Rigi comes in or Ox comes in for Salah, changes the way we attack, all that sort of stuff. So. I think it's quite interesting that Liverpool have signed a, not necessarily a carbon copy, but someone who's really, really similar to Robertson to play left-back. I think we also signed Minamino in January, who you could argue is one of the very, very few out there who is at least vaguely comparable to, to Firmino in terms of being able to play as the nine and drop off. So I think Liverpool are somehow you know, really shrewdly identifying like almost bargain versions of their actual eleven. Um, oh, it feels like the building their own kind of team of regens on football manager. You know, just kind of players oh, like, who they can replicate who are of this of this mould. Yeah, it feels a little like those who who listen to this podcast every week will know that during lockdown we created an alternative Liverpool eleven. Um, and we wanted that eleven to perform exactly how Liverpool do in terms of the same threats and the same type of build-up and the same type of attack and all that sort of stuff. If Liverpool's current eleven didn't exist, it, it is a little bit like Liverpool are now starting to do that mm. for almost like a bit of a shadow squad for the actual first eleven. Um, you know, Minamino in in the Firmino mold, Simicas in the in the Robertson mould, Nico Williams in the Trent mould, 
you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think you can play anyone on the midfielders really, and you'll get a decent level of output there. Um, I think the the main the main issue probably is an alternative for Salah. I think that's really tricky, especially one who's left footed, and a better alternative for for Mane. Other than Rigi, because I don't think Rigi offers the same stuff. He's not quick enough and stuff, and not that direct enough and things. But yeah. I think it really, it really is interesting the way Liverpool are going down the route of uh, that whole shadow squad thing, you know, um, trying another, another group of players behind the first teamers who are who cheaper, maybe not as good, but still perform in the same way, still offer the same threats and things. Yeah, it's, it's it's probably the ideal way to prepare and execute, you know, a transition phase that maybe might come in in the next couple of seasons, you know, where you get, you know, you've got these players who can come in, perform at similar levels as, as you know, maybe the, the regulars that we've become accustomed to aren't as, va- as available as much anymore. Or, you know, maybe if, I mean, I don't anticipate this, I'm just using it as an example, you know, maybe if Robertson was sold, you haven't suddenly got a panic of trying to find a player who can come in and without it kind of impacting the side, you know, you've got the player there. And I think it'll really aid the up and coming transition phase, which will probably come in the next year or two for club. Yeah, well that's what the best clubs usually do. The, the, the smartest clubs usually recruit in advance in anticipation of a sale. If you think of for example Leicester who have done it really, really well in the past few years, obviously they were linked with Simicast as well. Mm-hmm. But you think when they sold Harry Maguire, they bought Soyuncu 12 months earlier because they kind of knew it was going to get to a point where United were, um, were going to come for Maguire. They're trying to sign Simicas there in anticipation of Chilwell leaving. Mm. Um, and maybe maybe this summer we'll see them target quite, a, quite an attacker midfielder in anticipation of Madison maybe leaving further down the line. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't think Liverpool have to do it as much considering... Liverpool are a bit more of a, a bit higher in the food chain to be at risk of losing all the best players. But you know, if you can do it and it allows you to rotate without without the performance of suffering and without having to change everything to, to accommodate the new players you've just introduced, you know, it makes sense. Mm. Um yeah, one one more aspect of his game according to the numbers that I picked up on that we that I did, that I didn't didn't create a visualization for was progressive runs. So a progressive run is basically, you know, when, when the player's got the ball at his feet and he carries it forward into space closer to the opponent's goal. Um, I don't mean two yards. I mean, like, you know, take, for example, a five-yard carry or a ten-yard carry or so. Um, players that complete lots of carries are usually more dynamic in the in the way that they play. Um, I think top of the Premier League this season was... I'm not sure who it was, but I think Grealish is usually up there Ben Chilwell's usually up there. Williams usually up there. Just players who like to drive forward with the ball. Um, I think in the Greek Super League, Simicas averaged, I think, 3.1 per 90. Robertson, 3 per 90. So, again, just really, very similar. Um, the whole similar players concept, it's probably being applied, to be honest. Uh, another, another little note. Uh, no injury history, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so that was. I actually googled it because I didn't believe it. I actually yeah, googled I... it because I didn't believe it, and it it said um, he did pick up one injury. Funnily enough, when he was about to be called up to the country to play for Greece, he, oh, so he missed the two Greek matches, which tends to happen, doesn't it? Um, but in terms of missing matches for Olympiacos, at least, you know, he hasn't been kept out, which is. Probably an underrated um, aspect of scouting that Liverpool probably consider, and some of the clubs probably don't. Mm. Yeah, I, I found that myself. I looked on transfer market and I was like, oh, I thought they've, they've made an error clearly, but yeah, there's absolutely it got people should go on there and have a look if they don't believe us. It's quite funny, there's nothing on there. Um, yeah, just something I wanted to add quickly, Josh. Um, you no, know, we were talking about that adaptation. To you know, a more dominant side a little bit earlier. I was just well, as we were chatting there, I was having a quick look at the at the Super League, um, the Greek Super League, and you know, in many ways, Olympiakos 
are the kind of Liverpool of that division. Um, you know, I don't know the intricacies of the actual tactical dynamics, but they scored the, the you know the most goals last season. Okay, in in the Premier League, we've you've got more than one dominant side. So you've got Man City as well, but they scored the most goals last season, highest xG. Um, they, they tend to rank fairly high up as well in terms of or low, sorry, in terms of PPDA. Um, in terms of ball possession as well, they had the most the the highest average ball possession last year. You know, there's there's a lot of they're basically they're the dominant side in that division. Liverpool are one of the dominant sides in this division as well. So he probably will have, although it'll be against lesser sides, he will have been accustomed to being on the side who's expected to go out there and obviously win games and control matches. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely an underrated aspect of recruitment, signing a player from an environment um, with a view to bringing him to Liverpool where the environment isn't that different. Um, I think... Say, for example, United's Bayern Wan-Bissaka, which is, again, another little note that I made in the newsletter. It's a deal Liverpool would, would have never done. And the reason he would have never done it is because in the space of, you know, a few months, Wan-Bissaka's going from being a defensive fullback and in, in basically a low block for Roy Hodgson to playing 60 yards from goal on the halfway line at Old Trafford when you've got 65% of the ball. It's a completely different game, um, and he's having to really learn on the on the job sort of thing and adjust and, and all that sort of stuff. Whereas, you know, Minamino coming from one of the Red Bull clubs, pressing and all that sort of stuff. Um, Samikas coming from, as you say, a dominant attacking outfit in Olympiacos. It just makes sense to to ensure that. I think it minimizes the risk. I think that's the that's the key thing. I think it minimizes the the chance of of a player coming to Liverpool or coming to, you know, a new league or whatever and encountering problems. I think if you if you can keep as many things the same, if you can keep the the platform for why the player succeeded in in his previous club, there's no reason why you shouldn't do it in the in the new in a new club. Uh, I think Liverpool yeah. have really good at doing that. Mm. I, I mean at very least even if you've got an, an expert talent who, who will be able to grow into, you know, how that club plays eventually, in a very least limits that transition period, doesn't it? Just makes it so much quicker for them to hit the ground running. Um, yeah. You know, but the thing play- is, even with that, Liverpool still give the player a transition period whereby we don't usually see them for about three months. Mm. True. Um, so yeah I, I mentioned earlier about the, the defensive numbers and didn't even say them <laughs> so <laughs> I'll mention that now uh, this was this was not including Europe this was, this was only the Greek Super League he was 31 fullbacks who played over 1000 it was either 1000 or 1500 minutes uh, and Simikas ranked 5th for defensive dual success I think he wins about 65% of his duels. Um, and in terms of aerial success, he was 14th, so about mid-table there. So I think that the way I basically sum up is on the defensive side, he's fine. Um, defensive numbers can be a little bit you know, weird every now and then. and His defensive approach will be different to Liverpool, I assume. Maybe those numbers improve, but maybe they'll decrease going up against... Better, better dribblers and stuff like that. Um, even though he did well against the Diamond Traore, but yeah, I think on the defensive side, I wouldn't be. I'm not not concerned really. Um, yeah. the way we, you know, the way Moreno suffered because he didn't have that defensive game. I think Simicast does seem to have that to him. Um, I think one of the reasons that we actually got the the deal for only 11 million was he, he only had actually two years remaining on his deal. Um, I think that comes into. It. I think Lewis had a little bit longer. But yeah, I think we've, unless there's anything else you want to cover regarding Sumikas, Dave, pretty much mentioned all the key points there, I think. I think we probably, obviously, I don't know, we did mention it right at the top, but he's a good age as well. You know, it might seem mm-hmm. small, but I think 24 is a good age where, you know, you're not the you're not the one who has to kind of develop him through his, his learning period. You know, chances are he's probably hitting that level that he's going to be at now as a player. Um, I'm not saying he won't. There won't be improvements. I'm sure there will as he really goes and hits those peak years. But 
bought him at a really good age where hopefully any kind of errors or steep learning curves has been done at Olympiacos and now he's at Liverpool where he can kind of be the player that they, they need. Um, and, you know, there might be some money to be made when, when they eventually sell him as well and maybe four or five years' time, all being well. Yeah, I mean, he, sh- he should technically be entered in his prime, really. I think it's interesting that Liverpool give him a five-year deal um, because, obviously, when that runs out, he'll be about 29 years old. Wijnaldum is currently 29, I think, and he's got one year left on his deal. So I think Liverpool tend to give these players deals that run up until around the age of 30. And then at 30, they kind of uh, reassess basically whether 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 they're worth keeping or whether they should be sold or or let, let go for free, like Lallana maybe, or you know, something like that. Even though Lallana was kept till about the age of... I think he's about 33 or something, Lallana. Um, yeah, was Lallana. I'm going to say 32, but I'm not too sure. Um, oh, I mean, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm milking this year, aren't I? But I clicked, <laughs> off me, I clicked off me Google by mistake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good shout, 32. Yeah. So I think, but I think the Lana's deal was a bit a bit earlier, I think. I can't remember when he signed that, but it might have been a little bit at the start of clubs, 10 years and stuff like that. They were probably still refining everything. But yeah, I mean, we were going to mention about what's next for Liverpool but I think I think maybe we can leave it there and, and just dedicate this podcast to Samikas really new Liverpool signing only the second that's happened since this podcast has been going mm. so yeah hopefully we've provided a bit of background on there offered a bit of insight and sort of expect why it's a good why it seems to be a good deal and all that sort of stuff Um, if we spot anything else on them we will talk about it uh, give us a shout if you want to want us to talk about something ahead of next week. Um, and yeah, sign up to analyse Anfield and also Analytic Five, Dave. Uh, not sure if there's anything you want to plug before we probably round up. Yeah, so um, it looks like we've had a few subscriptions through the, the, the show. So thank you for those who have signed up. But obviously, it's it's going to be stuff from from me and Josh. You know, it's. It's not just going to be Liverpool focused, so you've got a, an interest in kind of wider football, then then definitely do sign up. It's, you can get the link through my Twitter. I've just put it in my Twitter bio now uh, at the A Hughes underscore. But yeah, we just look at different tactical and analytical aspects of the game, you know, from around the world and around Europe. Uh, it seems to do a mini series each week, and it's um, you know just five little parts on that series each week, and you know people seem to be really enjoying it. So do sign up goes without saying it's completely free don't even need your name or anything just pop an email in and and that'll be you registered and you'll get it in your inbox uh monday to friday so hopefully a few years you'll you know enjoying what you're seeing on analyzing anfield newsletter i'm sure you are um you know if you're keen for a little bit more that kind of that kind of stuff then make sure you sign up to analytics five as well yeah nice one so uh, we'll leave it there then so thanks for tuning in Thanks for joining us, Dave. And we will be back next week. See you later. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.